Hello everyone, welcome to Ale of a Time, it's Luke here, a very special episode today, it's their first episode out and about in real life for a long time. I'm joined by my co-host Dave and we have got a very special guest in the form of Scott Hargrave from Bolter Brewing. I'm assuming everyone out there is familiar with Bolter in some way, but we kind of get a bit of a background onto how Scott actually ended up brewing with, with Bolter and kind of the kind of beers that he likes to brew and how that influenced where Bolter is now. Really great chat and uh, thank you to Scott for taking the time to join us on the on the podcast. And we might be back uh, online next week just sorting some things out, but stay tuned to the social media for that. In the meantime, enjoy the interview. Dave, how are you going? Very well. Um, no complaints, aside from having to hustle to Wollongong for a funeral on Tuesday, but um, that's what my weekend's going to be, I think. It's an uh, unfortunate reason. Isn't it? I know. Yeah. Anyway, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks. It's good to be first podcast in person since The middle? May? Yeah, the middle one. Yeah. Whatever that one was, yeah. May-ish? May. I think May. I was going to say Jeez. it feels good to be back in a pub, but this is not quite in yeah. the pub, is it? No, we'll introduce our guest and we'll get our guest to paint the scene, I think, is part <laughs> of the fun. Uh, Scott Hargrove from Bolter Brewing. Scott, how are you going? I'm good, mate. Thanks for having me, fellas. Um, and it's good to see you. It is good. It is. Yeah, yeah. Jeez, I think the last time I saw you was the Stone and Wood 10th birthday sort of Invitational thing. Oh, up, up in Brisbane. Yeah, well, yeah. Burley wasn't it? Up where? Oh, that, yeah, no, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that big shed. So. Yeah. yeah. Long time on that one. See. Yeah. Uh, now paint us a picture. Where are we? We are in a mythical place uh, directly above the pool table in the Great Northern Hotel in North Carlton, in Melbourne. Um, may will be the possible. For, <laughs> former permanent digs of the uh, publican and proprietor. Um, it's a very, <laughs> it's a very interesting. Folks may well be able to hear him in the background. Someone um, yelling outside, yeah, is that yeah. Al castigating the dog again. Um, yeah, no, uh, we're in Al's lounge room uh, upstairs at the Great Northern, and uh, it sure is a interesting place. Uh, I, I would love to say it's such a cliche, but it's true. Uh, if walls could talk, <laughs> <laughs> if they could, they'd be coughing a lot. I think. <laughs> uh, welcome to Melbourne. Thanks, mate. It's good to be here. Hey, um, we were trying to work that out. I think it must have been January or February 2020 since I've been here. So Yeah. It's been a while. Uh, why are you here? I, I mean, other than recording this great podcast, of course. Well, A, to record this great podcast, and B, um, we are celebrating our fifth birthday. And so I made a bunch, well, five beers uh, with some brewer mates from around the world and, and locally. And um, the Great Northern is, you know, very, very important and close to all our hearts in Bolter. And uh, we decided uh, if we could throw a second birthday party and be greedy little kids, we'd come down to Al's and, and chuck the beers on for a day and see see what happens. Hopefully catch up with a bunch of people that we haven't been able to see for quite a while. Yeah. So, 
So yeah. Um, doesn't seem like five years. No. Yeah, lots happened in those five years, eh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I guess five years ago, you know, uh, we chatted to Sterling. I think when they first launched, ish, first Gabs for right, yep. for Bolter, and I, I think that for me was an interesting chat, just because. And we've we've talked about this endlessly. The skepticism around, you know, the big brand, the big marketing, yeah. uh, the big names, and and sort of meeting Sterling and you know genuine people, and then sort of getting to know you over the years. It feels like the the brand has kind of kept true, but it's evolved a lot. Um, obviously, there's there's a sale, and yeah. yeah, it's just an interesting five years to reflect on. I think. Um, yeah, I don't know. Reflect on it. Um, we just put this down and go. It has <laughs> been. Yeah, it has been. Well, it has been five years. It's been five years since we uh, put the first beer out in the market. But for myself um, and a couple of the other guys, uh, Ant McDonald, our CEO, and uh, Aaron Waters, who was our initially our, our building, our project manager for the build. Um, for us, it's been you know six and a bit years now. So I first said yes to doing Bolter on March the 9th, 2015. And we put our first beer out in the market on March the 8th, 2016. So 364 days it took from from myself sort of going, yep, that's it, I'm in. And we got the damn thing built and started making beer, which is, which is pretty good going, I think, for anybody. So uh, that sort of, in a lot of ways, marked what this thing might be like. We just got in and make great gains. You know, you have days weeks even months where you think you're spinning the wheels and then suddenly you make all this amazing progress all in one go and have to hang on pretty tight and then you stabilize again while you can and keep going again and that's been pretty uh that bit's been pretty consistent for us it's so how did you you know your background to, to just getting asked you know did you know the bolter team did you no what was your what were you doing at the time ah right okay yeah well i was um by the f- when the first contact came uh, out out to me, there was uh, I was head brewer at Byron Bay Brewing Company. I'd done four years at Stone and Wood as <coughs> excuse me as their first full time employee, um, which is um, probably where we might have first met way back in the day. I don't. Th- I just was thinking I maybe interviewed you when you were at Byron. Yeah, I think brewery I remember. For a, I don't know what the article was. Oh yeah, it was around a. It was around a beer. Was it the Mash Collective beer? Or was it the first oh, one maybe. of those? Yeah, I did. I know I did something I think about it the, been. the Byron. Was it Byron Bay Brewery? Yep. The, yep. I did an article of something around them, maybe for Broadsheet or Beer and Brewer, but yeah, maybe that was you that I spoke to then. Don't know. I'd, I've, never, I'd, I've never put two and two together. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think we definitely. I think I had to answer, answer some interview questions back in the Mash Collective days at Stone and Wood, maybe. Hmm. I have this memory somehow of mentioning Splendour because it was across the road from my house at the time. Splendour? Yeah. Yeah, right. Back, back when it was down at Belongeal Field. But um, but anyway, yeah, so uh, I was, uh, I'd done four years at Stone and Wood and sort of been, a, I guess, a, a reasonable part of that early lift-off stage, I guess. And, you know, there was an incredible amount of growth and, you know, the, the thrust is sort of pushing you right back in your chair. And um, So what, when did you start with Stone and Wood? Uh, that was, gosh, July, August, uh, 2009, I think. Right, so really, like... Yeah. yeah. That's... Yeah, I think yeah. Brad had, I think Brad had brewed the very first of the beers, which, um, 
uh, wouldn't have been called Pacific Ale back then, and it certainly wasn't for the first couple of years I was brewing it. It was called Draft Ale. Mm. So I think he started the first brews in November 2008 or so, mm. I think. And, you know, I'd only been at um, Sunshine Coast Brewery for a couple of months, probably by the time he'd started doing that. So ended up going down there and... Um, yeah, in the very, 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 very early days, I can remember when um, we sold sixty kegs one week, and that was this massive high watermark, you know. And I can't imagine how many kegs those guys are selling these days. It's like a week at the beachy. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, did that for four years. Um, you know, I learned an awful lot about, I think, the beer business. Uh, back then I was already uh, I guess a reasonably proficient brewer but um, I learned a lot off off the boys about the beer business which was one of the major attractions for me because there was a lot of they're very very astute Mm. businessmen Um, but also you know the time between Brad Ross and Jamie in the industry you know um, I think when I joined they had 60 odd years between them then so mm, yeah. that would have been everybody else in the whole craft beer industry in australia put together probably so uh, did that then i went over to um needed a bit of a change i suppose and i went over to the byron bay brewing company for about 18 months um before uh you know the the guys that were forming bolter sort of reached out to me and um i had a guy um sean ronan one of our founders lives in san diego so uh, um um, you know, had had somebody say, "Well, do, is it okay if um, you know you get um, uh, take a phone call from a guy in San Diego?" And I'm like, um, "Yeah, if it's about beer, that's actually quite flattering." Actually, you know? so, <laughs> yeah. So I didn't know who it was or what, you know. And I went, "Oh, okay." And it was well because they want to start a, a brewery on the Gold Coast, and I just sort of went, "Oh, yeah, this could be anything." Right? So <laughs> I thought it was a, a little bit hesitant initially um but anyway had uh, uh probably um as sean likes to call it a, a bit of a courtship we dated for four or six weeks over over facetime saturday mornings and for about a month or six weeks as we sort of got to know each other i'm trying to work out what this sort of brash exuberant american what the hell does he actually want what, what's what's the story here but um what do you mean by that like what does he want in terms of beer? What does he want in terms of... Yeah, yeah, I was like, you know, because, you know, I know that the, the ambition was there. Like, and, and you know, Sean was... Uh, one of his neighbours is a guy called Josh Kerr, who's another one of the founders. He's a Gold Coast boy who moved to the US, you know, as a professional surfer uh, years ago. So, Sean and uh, Josh are neighbours um, in San Diego, uh, uh, in Carlsbad in san diego so um those guys w- jumped in on the very tail end i think of um saint archer as that uh, as that uh brewery got up and running i think i don't think they were in that for very long before it actually sold mm. right so and it was it seemed to be um when sean sort of rang me i sort of did a bit of digging and sort of had a look at saint archer and it seemed to be very much driven by uh, a different ethos to what i was going to be prepared to do and it seemed to be really around a lifestyle brand or a extreme sports sort of brand sort of mm. thing like you know and i went okay well that's all very interesting but i don't know how that translates to beer in this country and what i'd be sort of prepared to do and and whatnot but um it eventually got to the point where i 
from what Sean says now is he turned to Stirls and Mick and Joel and those guys and go, I'm going to, I'm going to pass him on to you guys because I think he hates me. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't, wasn't true at all. I was actually quite fond of Sean, but, you know, I can understand from his point of view, he's an Australian who's much more probably reserved and like, hearing this exuberant guy going oh you know we're going to shoot for the stars and i'm going yeah right mate like i've <laughs> i was on the you know i was on the early days of the rocket ship that is stone and wood and you won't do not expect that to ever happen again yeah you know? so which i thought was probably a reasonable stance too i was trying to <laughs> save everybody from financial ruin and and uh disappointment but yeah. In those FaceTime calls, what sort of things was he trying to explore, oh, communicate just, to you? Well, just that, you know, like he, he lives in a town where there was already 120 breweries mm. and California itself has got a population of like 44 million people or something and our whole continent holds 24 or 25, you know, and I just think from the, the sort of numbers he was initially talking about, you know, that we'll be at X amount of litres after you know this is where we want to be and i'm like whoa 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 slow down like your your state has twice the population of my whole country so there's we don't have enough people to sell that much beer and even then i remember 2015 even two or three years before people were saying there was too many breweries yeah um you know when are we gonna peter out and you know it felt like you guys came along as all right another another one but you know since then we've seen just explode even like it's you know still going it's kind of a crazy yeah. to think that even then we were thinking the same things as we're probably all thinking now is yeah all right everyone's going to struggle to survive but it sort of almost feels like that the thought that there's too many there's too much saturation has gone away though you know yeah. what i mean like now like it, when that little precinct in collingwood was sort of building people were sort of saying another craft beer venue next to all those craft beer venues is it is it gonna uh yeah is, is it is there enough customers to sustain mm. this but now if they, if another place opened there you'd go perfect that's exactly what we need yes yeah yeah range opened up recently yeah surrounded by breweries and it's like oh yeah that makes sense yeah well there's maybe that thing in safety and numbers people go well if they're going to come past and look at that guy's brewery maybe they'll stop and have a beer at mine as well mm. you know which mm. and if i guess if you can overcome the the fear or the insecurity that another another business similar to yours open up next door is going to steal all your customers. Well, if you're thinking that way, then maybe you don't have a lot of faith in what you're doing. Mm. And if that's the case, why? What's Maybe you need to look at what's going on if you don't have a lot of confidence in what you're doing. Mm. And it's a funny one because, you know, in the US, from um, from from what I know, like I, I've got some mates who run really, really big breweries over there. And I've got some mates that have just started and have got 10, 12, 15 heck pub systems. And it seems to me that about, uh, I, think it, I think the numbers somewhere are like, um, you know, only the, only the top 10 or 20% of US craft breweries are bigger than ours. Mm. The vast majority of them are actually the same size or smaller than mm. most of ours. So the US might have a lot more breweries the vast majority of them might be five and ten hex systems that are, you know, just on a corner pub and, mm. you know, because they've got the concentration of population, I guess, to support it. Mm. But but here, you know, we've got a lot more distance between people and all of that sort of thing that, so that maybe you've got to get to a certain size here to survive in a way that you don't in the US if you're taking all the, the differences between excise and the way, you know, 
all that sort of crap as well. You know, there's a yeah, there's a. The cost of of doing business may be cheaper over there. I don't know. So they can you can get away making less beer and just making it for your neighbourhood. You know, mm. whereas here you probably um, seems like you got to go a little bigger than that. My whole, you know, the pie in the sky for me would have been doing just that, just a brew pub and tick away and not kill myself making beer and blah 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 blah. But I think particularly over the last five or six years was breweries like um you know hawkers started as about the same size as our brewery and then we came along and then you know some of the guys that have come along since it's it's more it, it seemed that a lot of guys seemed midstream to go from the brew pub thing to sort of looking at what we're doing and going well why the hell aren't we making cans these guys are mm. uh, have got beer now all over the country out of their you know little 30 cans a minute canning machine mm. and the beer's good and the branding's good and if we get that right maybe that can happen for us i think mm. people have just thought well they've seen success around them and just thought oh yeah we want to be part of that too mm. and the maybe the ambition and the aspirations get a bit bigger so i think there is an awkward middle that yeah. happens and this is probably a, you know a big sidetrack but yeah there are brands that i see and stuck in there where it's if they want to grow or they they think they need to grow um, and then they try to grow into a national brand, and then they kind of get caught out, mm. um, you know, or, or eventually might get caught out because I wouldn't want to be releasing a, a beer into Dan Murphy's right now. You know, yeah, that's, that's, that's competing in that space because you're competing with you, Stone and Wood. You know, Kaiju Crush is, is doing incredibly well there. Like, yeah, to then get a beer into that bulk six pack, uh, it's I imagine it's challenging, and you have to have the right formula. Yeah, oh, definitely, and I, I think what might be hard for 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 some breweries is and businesses is that they they change their they change tack midstream, mm. and I think that's like really really expensive because if you've set up as a brew pub and you, you know, your mindset is that your your floor plan and your layout, even practical considerations like that, your services, how much gas you got coming in, how much trade waste you're allowed to send out, the water, the power all those let alone space all those things are sort of um define what you're doing but also they they um inform how far you can go and all that sort of thing and then if you suddenly decide you know what we're going to be a production brewery because now i actually want to go for gold Mm. then shit how do you do that like does that mean then like we're seeing now i guess some um, some businesses, some breweries are doing really good and just getting second sites and production sites mm. and good on them. Like I, I really, I really admire, um, the, the, you know, the, the optimism there, you know, and it's great to see that. And you just, you just know, like you can see some brands that are going to do that and do really well mm. and others who are probably taking a bit of a misstep and, and, probably not quite there not you got to have uh, to me it seems like you got to have your fundamentals right you got to have those foundations right we were always gonna um to be quite honest like we sort of when we first did all our numbers and stuff we thought we'd be an 80 percent keg business and you know and i was very very keen on that because i know how hard packaging is and all the risks involved and how much more expensive it is packaging materials and all this sort of stuff staff costs and everything else but so we were always going to be packaging, you know. So I guess to, to bring it back to when you were sort of setting it all up, how much input did you have to the layout and the brewery? Like, was that Yeah, enormous. You? That yeah. was mostly me, yeah. So 
um, as are our, um, you know, our, our construction um, project manager at the time. Like basically it was like, you know, we'd worked out, like I, I knew what equipment I wanted and we, you know, I used to go in there and draw what we call the crop circles on the floors. And I'd, I'd keep plotting out the brew house. I'd keep plotting out the cellar and the bright tanks where everything was going to go. And Azra would come along the, that afternoon and, and pressure wash it all off. And I'd have to <laughs> do it again the next day. So that was, it was just sort of drove me mad for about three months doing that. But it was like, it was really a, a about really tightly defining like just how much room we're going to, like realistically, not just going, oh, I think it's all going to fit. Like I wanted to know. We had to know where mm. everything could fit because. I knew well enough to know that right from the very start we had to squeeze everything as tightly as we could and be disciplined like that because if we grow, then you, you've got to have that room. You can't just have everything sprawled out and, and be really overly generous to yourself in the early days because mm. it's, it's, it's going to get hard to move stuff. You're going to limit what you can do. And it's mm. just having that mindset, I suppose, that we're not doing this for now. We're doing this for where we're going to be in four or five years. Mm. Five years ago, I had no idea it was going to be like this mm. where we're at, but we were still planning to be successful, you know, just not stupidly <laughs> so. We were planning to be successful. <laughs> yeah. It's a good business strategy. Yeah, but that's yeah. on page yeah. one. Well, yeah. 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 <laughs> you kind of have to, especially when, you know, there was no way I wasn't doing this without, you know, um, skin in the game. So, like, it, yeah, it becomes really important when you're yeah. making decisions that are going to affect your own well-being and, um, financial health down the track at some distant point. Going back to those FaceTime calls, were mm. the numbers wildly inaccurate or did you have a savvy... Uh you know what? You know what? This is the funny thing. My uh, my scepticism of the numbers was wildly inaccurate because I was like, nah, man, you've got that us getting to... I can't remember exactly what the numbers were, but it's like, you've got us getting there in five years. I said, that's ridiculous. Turn that... Make that seven, you know? So he'd had this sort of uh, graph, if you like, of like rising volumes. And I went, that's too steep. That's way too steep. Like, knock it... Just knock it off. Let's pull this back and get a bit reasonable. And um, I think about 12 months in, we realised, nah, it should have gone back <laughs> So did he so. just see something that... Oh, no, we... My That's phone's right. pinging. That's all right. Um, um, oh, I think it was just sort of based on what happens over there, you know, right. that, that that being around, I guess, successful people, you know, because Sean was mates with Josh, which meant he already was mates with Joel and and Mick and those guys as well. And, and I guess they're used to doing, doing well. And if anything, in my life, I'd always been sort of good at everything but not outstanding at anything i could play footy well yeah. enough i yeah, could play yeah. guitar well enough yeah. i could you know if my game was on i could i could chip out of a sand yeah. trap all right Mate, playing golf jack of all trades master of none yeah i was i could do enough at school to get by how's your cutback like completely non-existent okay <laughs> <laughs> completely non-existent i do appreciate how good the guys are at surfing but there is none i I, I'm in the water a lot at Byron because I live there, but um, yeah, I'll, I swim. I actually pulled a calf muscle about six months ago running out of the water because there was a shark. <laughs> and just as uh, I might as well sidetrack here. Um, yeah, we should absolutely sidetrack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so I was down at the wreck, if you know where that is, and I'm sh- sure you do. Um, so I was down at the wreck. I was, you know, out, out in the waves catching a couple uh, of, of little two foot waves. Yeah. <laughs> <probably>. <laughs> and. Um, 
there was this I was looking towards the shore and my wife was over there with our dog and and I looked to my left and there was this group of people and they looked like um, backpacker folks to me and they were excited about something and pointing in the water and there was this um, young lass there that had a, a an iPhone and she was filming and she was slowly making a wa- her way down the beach towards where I was and she's filming and they're all walking along and um, so there's something in the water and I'm sort of looking up that way and I couldn't see and then I looked over at what was in the water and at about 10 or 15 metres from me I saw these two fins break the surface mm. and it was a shark so I basically shit myself and ran as hard as I could out of the surf and I blew a, my left calf muscle while I was at it. <laughs> Got out of the water and uh, young topless lady and all the mates have actually just walked right behind me and kept filming, you know, <laughs> watching this shark. And I've looked down towards the wreck and there's about 40 other people in the water. And So they're filming but not... They were filming but they didn't tell, tell anyone yeah, about right. it. So I'm turning around like waving like a maniac, like, get out of the fucking water, there's a shark. You know, and <laughs> 10 or 12 of these people heard me. And they, yeah, yeah. It was kind of entertaining watching them get out as quick as I did. But um, my wife was only concerned um, about Pepper, the dog, because she's going... That could have got the dog. I needed crutches by then. I couldn't even, I couldn't even walk. I was so scared. So that's about as close as the uh, sort of surfing encounters are going to get for me, I think. There's a, uh, you know, you, what you're talking about, of, you know, the, these guys know success and the whole shark, punching a shark, yep. you know, all tied in with, with you running out of the water of the shark is a... Yep. I don't know. There's something yeah, in there that's punch a shark, do a calf. That's yeah. pretty much about the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's it's nowhere near as heroic, is it? But um, what do you do? You know. And I guess <laughs> I guess there in um, what I was going to say, I suppose, was that with the jack of all trades thing was when it, somehow when I started brewing, when I got involved with beer, I seemed to be better at that than anything else I'd done. So mm. I guess I slowly got used to. Doors opening, you know, and they say that the harder you work, the luckier you get. So maybe it's that. Maybe it was just that I was just more absorbed by and, you know, um, I was more into what I was doing as a brewer and maybe I tried that bit harder, even Mm. subconsciously. Like, I know that over the years I've put an awful lot of time and effort into, into brewing. It's the tiny little things that make all the difference and that's, you know, I tell my my team's that all the time is that you know it's the it's the one percenters that get us up there and it's the it's ignoring the one percenters the tiny little things mm. that will bring you straight back down so. so how did you get into beer what was the um funnily enough um i used to play in bands in canberra so thursday nights if we weren't doing gigs we'd be rehearsing in my garage and i'd drink probably a bunch of melbourne bitter cans and at some point there this is like around 99, 2000, around there. I, I just started to see things like Little Creatures Live mm. in the bottle shops. And I thought, what the hell is that? And it's like, I took this beer home and I can remember trying it. And um, I'd sort of just started to dabble. And Chuck Hahn, I think, had the first of the James Squire beers out mm. around then, the James Squire Pilsner and that. And I was just trying all these beers. And some of them I could sort of, some of them were. Uh, for me that I could sort of drink and appreciate straight away and others were just just beating me up pretty pretty hard and I can remember the little creatures pale I remember thinking gee that's a really well made beer but I'm not astute enough or or mature enough yet as a beer drinker to really get into it I can Mm. tell it's good (laughs) I don't know why but it's kicking the shit out of me right now you know and and then I suppose it just sort of 
tweaked my interest, I suppose, and and I sort of then went into. I had a real love of German beers, you know, and I still do. Like, um, German wheat beers and pilsners and Belgian wheat beers and all these sorts of beers. And I tried to force them on my friends, and they all told me to piss off. And you know, yeah. you drinking this expensive yuppie bullshit, you moron. Yeah. Tastes like dishwater and blah 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 blah. So I just kept annoying them for years and years, and then. Um, uh, I was doing some concrete work for an auntie of mine um, up in the central west about two hours north of Canberra where I was living at the time and um, I did the same thing up there for two weeks I was pouring concrete and annoying the shit out of my cousins who were there to help me by trying to get them to drink you know better beer for want of a, a, a better word and at the end uh, end of the two weeks while I was there with my auntie Viv she just turned around and she said Scotty you should do something in Beer. you seem to be really really passionate about it and i'm like oh well, yeah i'd never thought of that so we got back to canberra and there was a the wigan pen was actually ha- holding a history of brewing sort of adult education course and Lockie mccomish the former owner there and um would go in and do those on the weekends you know and rich watkins was head brewer there mm. anyway so i went to the might have been the first or second of these courses that he'd done and um i was just enthralled by it um like he got some of rich's malt put it in a put it in a lunchbox esky and um boiled a jug and heated up the water and made a little mash and mm. as soon as i smelt that that was it you know it sort of had changed the uh very quickly i think changed my brain chemistry i just smelt that mash and it was just so uh what's a word for it it was so primal and um you know sort of rustic and but it was um there was something about it that was really, really familiar. I'd never brewed before. Thank you, Dave Myers. Dave Myers has just bought us a beer, everyone. And how quiet was that? <laughs> that was amazing. That was a- Thanks, Dave. <laughs> he's, 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 he's the best. Um, and uh, it was such a, um, yeah, just such an amazing day. I just remember, like, there's something, I've never been around brewing at all, but there's something familiar about this, like, deeply primal that just, got right in under my skin and that was that so. and Dave is uh, showing us something on the oh, uh, uh, everybody um, uh, out there uh, we're drinking Bubble Trouble a hazy IPA collaboration I did with Garage Project remotely for you our don't have to apologise at all he <laughs> <laughs> brought us beer he brought us beer yeah exactly um, how do you do a remote collaboration effectively uh, yeah well I had to do that with all of these ones um, basically email or ring him up and jump on a zoom and mostly with these guys it's talking shit for an hour or two and then it's like oh um actually yeah so a recipe (laughs) (laughs) you know and i'd i generally have one like this is what i'd like to do if you guys and sort of sketch something out and then just see what they thought you Mm. know and i was gonna say i can't imagine you know there are the the talk of collab days where it's like the junior brewers do something in the background while the the senior brewers just get pissed and chat and um, the ever important photo opportunity yeah yeah it's like that's that's the climax of a of a collab brew day <laughs> is the shot yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> the money shot i, I can't <laughs> imagine i don't know i can't imagine you'd want to not be involved in making the beer oh 100 i did I'm, i made all of the beer um and especially because the guys weren't around you know it's always good if you're doing it on a big enough scale, when we did the collab with um, Garage Project, the first one, Dry Haze, mm. um, um, I ended up doing, I think, two 
70 hectares tanks of that I think it was so that was like four brews so um, the first day I had the GP guys there and we got into it and, and did most of that um, then they flew home the next morning and then I was in there the second day doing the rest but that was where and I was able to bring in some of the other guys and help me do the second brew and stuff just mm. so they can you know get some exposure to it mm. but you know we've got six core range beers now and probably another six or eight seasonal beers ultimately we do every year so our guys get to get to make a, a fair range of beers while I'm doing all the sort of other, um, I guess the you know all the new product stuff and and just the the finding the way forward for us on the pilot system and and if the beers are good enough they tend to um, graduate up to the bigger system. But mm. this one I didn't have enough pilot tanks, so I had to brew this on the big one anyway, just a single. It's really nice. Yeah. It's really nice. Yeah, cheers. And I mean, this was the one where I was sort of, I was in a Zoom meeting with Joss and Pete and um, and um, Pete's brother, Ian, and we just, again, we were just cracking jokes, you know. And those guys are really funny, like, you know. Mm. Uh, they're very, very witty bastards, so most of the time it's like trying to compete with them, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in a, t- for punchlines. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I was, I was consistently losing that. But um, yeah, no, another skill that you don't have. Another skill I don't have. Put it the yeah. file. <laughs> but, um, so that's right. That's where you got to collaborate. Yeah. Do that. You know, you got to make beer with someone who's funnier than you. So. <laughs> <laughs> Generally, so. I guess with the remote thing, it's been, mm. um, it's been interesting. I mean, it's. I'm not going to cry about it. Oh, actually, I would a little bit because it would have been great to have all of these guys here. Mm. Um. The only it was only DJ that from Mountain Culture that w- I was able to actually brew in person with, mm. um, which is pretty cool. And he was, I was stoked. He was really excited. I rang him one one Sunday Arvo and said, "Mate, could you come up maybe like next week?" And he goes, "Yeah, man, give me, <laughs> hang on." And he's just gone. <laughs> he's just gone and looked at flights, yeah. and he's come back like half an hour later, and he's gone. Yep, I'm booked in, brother. I'll see you up there. <laughs> anyway, on the day, the day that I was um, coming over to get him from the Gold Coast Airport, he's he's rung me about an hour, I think, before he was due. And I said, "How you going, bro?" And I answered the phone. And he goes, "Well, I'm at the airport." And I went, "Fuck, here we go." And it was he'd booked in his haste. He'd booked the flight for a month after he was meant to be there. So. <laughs> He'd if he'd if he kept the original booking, he would have showed up last Wednesday, um, you know, and he was meant to, meant to be there on the tenth of February or something. So he's like, "Okay, I'll uh, I'll rebook. I'll fly into Brisbane, but I'm not going to get down to your place at about midnight." And I went, "No, nah, just just can that. Just fly into Ballina, and I'll come down and get you." So, and as it works, as it worked out, he ended up being on the ground basically twenty minutes earlier than he would have anyway. So. Yeah, right. We turned that into a win, so he stayed with us, and um, we uh, had a bunch of beers at the rails and a bunch of cryo mofo tinnies at home, and got up all busted and hurt, and went to work and brewed some beer. So. Uh, is the rail still only cash? No. Oh, no, really? No, 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 mate. This is the twenty-first century. Jeez. I mean, last time I was there, which was two years ago, I think it was still cash only. Yeah, well, we were 20 years yeah. into the 21st century, so it took a while. But no, no, you can uh, you can definitely use your card now, which is a, it's a great step forward. Yeah. Were you with us, Dave, the Led Zeppelin? No, the first song he played was... Yeah, it was 
something really ambitious. I think it might have been. It might have heaven. been stairway to heaven. Yeah, and we were all like, "We're at the rails. You cannot together. do this. This is sacrilege." Yeah, and then I don't reckon three and a half minutes in, we we're like. This is actually yeah. rules. This guy's the, killing it. The yeah. band opened with Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> wow. It's yeah. like, it's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And it ruled. They yeah. might have been expecting yeah. to get canned. I was like, well, let's just go with the encore. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. No, they, They're they, not going to have us back up. They turned this. it around. Yeah. That was good. I've just bewildered the, the decision making behind that. I want to I want to chat to them. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be good to know. But, um, yeah. Like uh, I was, the night we were there, actually, there was a really good band on. Um, uh, it was a guy's, I can't remember that. This guy, um, a band called Ragger Jump. That when I lived in Canberra, they were in Canberra, and now they're up, they're up on the coast. Um, but it was it was one of their related bands um, that a couple of those guys are in. But but they were the same. They just opened up with, um, gosh, was it Neil Young? I think yeah, it was. Yeah. I was like, all right, okay, yeah, <laughs> okay. I think so you're getting serious. I guess you got to bring it though if you're there. Like, yeah, you know, it's, it's a live music. Yeah, it's had live music every I, seven days a week. Yeah, yeah, and and they're know. just celebrating their fortieth um, birthday. So a big hats off to Tom and Kath and and Hannah and and Luke and Tommy Rain, who's the licensee there now. Like they're they've just been such an institution, not just for Byron and visitors and you know because it's our local pub, but also the start that they gave Stone and Wood, obviously. But they were incredibly gracious towards um, towards Bolter and myself, you know, in the early days. I think we've had XPA on continuously since Easter 2016 at the yeah, rails well. in the northern. And you know, I'd I'd been um, obviously that's that's the spiritual home of, of Stone and Wood mm. and, and Pacific Ale particularly, you know. And the fact that I'd been there and sort of left the family, I guess, and come back in a way as a I, I guess kind of as a competitor you know but they were like mate yeah if the beer's the beer's good it'll sell itself and mm. you know and it's I just I'm just in awe of their their openness and their graciousness towards that and hats off to them for 40 years I think it's fantastic do you feel like you're encroaching a little bit mm, oh no because like I I created XPA in my garage in in Byron like my postcode's two four eight one, mate. You know, it's Sunrise Sunrise Beach is where that beer beer came from. It was there, basically waiting for an opportunity like Bolter to. It needed the right home, you know, mm. and it was a beer that I wanted to make that was going to be not for 2014, 2015 when I was first playing with it, but it was a beer that I thought that could be where beer's actually headed. That's what was my great hope for it. And Why? Because I was getting access to, I was getting access to better hops and and you know all these you know Citra was starting to prove itself. We'd played around with it a bit when I was at Stone and Wood, and Citra was starting to prove itself, and Mosaic was just appearing, and all these sorts of hops, you know, that are now big heavy hitters, and mm. you know probably the you know the secret sauce for a lot of breweries, you know, um, all over the all over the world. But they were just sort of emerging and I was really just starting to get access to them and I just I wanted to make a beer that just had this just beautiful saturated hop character but still be really drinkable and dry enough and I, I, w- I was trying not to make just another American Pale Ale and you know at, around the time I'd sort of left Stone and Wood you know that's apart from Pacific Ale which was such an outlier still 
that's what most people would do. Like the template is a copper-coloured American mm. pale ale, blah, blah, blah. Probably got Cascade in it. Probably blah, 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 blah. Okay, it's five, five and a half percent. You know the story. Crystal malt, all this sort of stuff. And I just didn't like the way those beers aged in particular. Mm. Like I really disliked the, that sort of stale crystal malt character which becomes very raisiny. I, we can't even talk about that. Yeah. Fruit no. We can't talk about that on the podcast anymore. We've talked about that far too much. Yeah. yeah okay. For like five years, all we've talked about is how much we dislike it's crystal, crystal malt and, and how yeah. it ages. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's why, in part, XPA exists. And that's, yeah, right. why, that's why I called it XPA. For me, it was extra pale ale. Or extra pale, pause, ale, not extra alcohol or extra hops or mm. extra everything. It was just, I just wanted that beer to, no crystal mould in it. And to, if I could get it right, I could have a showcase for all these hops, but still make a beer that was just endlessly drinkable if we got, if I got the balance right. And that is a, you know, and I spent a lot of time playing around with that beer at home and trying to get it layered so that as it warms up in the glass, you get, you know, for me, it starts off with passion fruit and this really lavender floral character. And you work your way through the beer, and by the time you've got to say a, a, a third or so of a schooner left at the rails, it should start to smell like lime and lime skins, you know, from the mm. mosaic character. So I was really trying to make a beer that was simple but complex, but, you know, that, that was interesting to people who wanted to dive into it, mm. but smashable enough for people who just wanted a great beer didn't really know why they liked it mm. or didn't want to have to dissect it and work out why they liked it they just did they just come in off um you know coming off the tennis court or you know got out of the uber and got to the rails and it's that time of day and they want a beer and they've earned it and and be able to like smash it if they wanted to but if you wanted to you go wow that's that's really quite clever mm. you know? i think all of my favorite beers are that mm. that nothing yeah. too big nothing exactly too right. small just Yep. Smash it down and go. There's, oh, a, there's actually, something interesting in there yeah. if you want to look for it. Yeah. There's a huge amount, I reckon, to be said for that idea of balance and and uh, and and not symmetry, but integration in beer. Where it's like it's it's if you break it down, yeah, that's simple and that's simple and that's simple and that's simple. And you put it all together and you go, yeah, I can't, I can't do that. Like for me, when I was a I guess a failed muso. I guess that's what I mostly was when I was <laughs> banging around in the bands in Canberra. Like before, I got good enough at playing and being in a band to sort of be for us to be playing our own music. Like I'd be forever trying to to decipher, you know, to to transcribe, you know, my favourite songs and all this sort of stuff. And I, and I'd end up thinking and. You know, like a great riff would somehow in my mind, when I'm going, is that what I'm hearing? Is that what I'm hearing? And I'd end up make it way more complicated than it actually really ever was. Mm. You know what I mean? All the it's best like, riffs are simple. Yeah, it's like, it's like it might have only been six notes, but I've made it 38. <laughs> and and it, was just, it was just the way it was put together was all the magic in between. Whereas, you know, I thought the magic was extra notes or mm. it must have been some... Some technical wizardry. Yeah, yeah the like the, the, there's there's ghost notes or there's pre-bends or there's fucking, you know, there's, there's you know, yeah, harmonic squeals or all yeah. sorts of shit that wasn't actually there. I was just inventing it because, in my mind, because I thought, no, it can't be that simple. Yeah. Can't, a, apart from ACDC and, you know, rest in peace Malcolm Young. But because he did, he just made it simple but made it 
awesome, you know. You still listen to underappreciated for that very reason. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Well, it gets it gets thrown at them as a criticism. They make the same, you know, they're also the same song, and it's like, yeah, but it's a fucking good song. Yeah, well, that's like, right. It's always a great thing to hear. That's right, you know. And I guess like like everything, like bands probably have a use by date at some point, you know, where their where their best work is done, and they know that there's that there's that the rich vein that you get to mine just because you because they don't know what they're doing and they they're just pushing forward and then i guess maybe 40 years later you try and recapture that and you can't because you now know the formula you now know the magic and unless you make a brand new source you're not gonna have that same sort of pushing forward and your audience is probably going to flog you because you didn't play sympathy for the devil or whatever it might be Mm. at that gig i saw the pixies play Early, uh, last year right before lockdown happened and that was a fascinating gig because you know they've got so many incredible songs that i think people don't realize they know so well mm-hmm. they had where is my mind and gigantic in the middle of their set which was songs they could finish on and, and you know they could they could phone in a set and finish on those yeah had them in the middle and then just jammed and played new songs for the rest but they're good enough to carry that through yeah Without needing to rely on it, but we still get it and we still love that moment. But yeah. then they're they're so confident in their ability that they just just going to keep playing the show. Yeah, yeah. And and bands like that, are, I guess, are few and far between. And you know, you'd hope some ways that that beer is like that as well, because you've got a band like the Pixies, and you don't have, I guess, you don't have the Breeders, you don't have Nirvana, you don't have you know a bunch of bands probably even mud honey and some of those other guys who then went on to inform you know and in, inspire Soundgarden and mm. alice and chains and all those sorts of guys without the when were the pixies around sort of 88 80s, 90, yeah. 90 sort of really early my guess is these days 30 years later they're probably much much better players too so they it was an incredible show i read a review about it and it was they gave, the review was terrible it said they were awful and they you know they had only two good songs that this reviewer recognised. I'm like, jeez, yeah, that's put some respect yeah. on their name. This is all, this is actually quite embarrassing. Yeah, and how you wonder how long the reviewer had known about the Pixies for? Yeah, and, you know whether it was a very quick Google education. Yeah, probably. yeah. And like, all right, okay, what's the? Yeah. If they got a greatest hits, they don't. Why don't they have a greatest hits? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I know that song from Fight Club. That's about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, if anyone gets a chance when live music comes back, go see the back seats. They're still very entertaining. Yeah. Um, thinking about though beer and music, you, know, you talked about Richard Watkins back when you started. Mm-hmm. You know, without Richard Watkins, you probably don't have a lot of brewers. Without you know Stone of Wood, you don't have all these things. You, you, oh, the building blocks. Absolutely, absolutely. Rich was um, Rich was one of sort of two real mentors, I guess. Or I don't know if mentors is the right word. More more than like. Uh, encourage like a and a, a, a couple of guys who really encouraged me was when when I was a homebrewer still were Rich Watkins and Sean Sherlock mm. you know still two really great mates of mine I'd actually I, I already knew Rich and I'm in the Canberra Brewers and suddenly I find myself as the social secretary in the in the committee which was interesting so basically I was in charge of the raffles yeah. and um, meat raffles beer usually or yeah, beer equipment okay. yeah. you know yeah. um and um yeah mostly free beer if i could get it so some i reached out to sean i'd 
gosh, there was some sort of it might have been uh, some Aussie homebrewers website or forum or something like that, and there was someone caning beers, um, you know, Australian craft beers and blah blah blah, and and somehow Murray's came up, which is where Sean was at the time, and I jumped in and went, you know what? Of all the Australian craft beers that I've tried, because I was sort of wading into it by then. I said, these guys have never let me down, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, uh, these guys are really, really solid. Sean sent me like a private message. Come, thanks for that, mate. That was really uh, awesome. And I went, oh, yeah, you're welcome. By the way, I'm the social secretary of the Canberra <laughs> Brewers. Can I hit you up for an interview and um, some prizes? Like, you know, like for our <laughs> raffle. Blah, blah, blah. He said, yeah, for sure. So we did that. We did, uh, we did like, a, I think from back, gosh, it's a while ago now. Um, I think we did a sort of, uh, beers over a phone on a Friday night sort of interview and um, I, I think one of the questions I asked him because you know he's a Newcastle Knights tragic and mm. rugby league I think what I can still remember one of the questions I asked him is what sort of what sort of beer is Andrew Johns if he <laughs> Yeah, that's gr- that's a great <laughs> like question. Like he was in a lot of trouble at the time. That's a uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That, depending what era Andrew Johns, what moment you're in. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he said um, Carmelite Trapel, I think it was okay. his answer like, uh, back in the day. Anyway, so he sent me, um, I'd, <laughs> I'd done this interview and then after that I went, and by the way, while I've got you, mate, can I send you some of my beer? Like uh, just to yeah, have a look yeah. at. Just yeah. the confidence of this kid. Yeah, That's incredible. Just, <laughs> yeah. And he goes, yeah, go for it. And he just, the feedback I got from him just blew me away. It was ultimately like, mate, these beers are fucking unreal if you're doing this at home you will kill it as a craft brewer just have a crack that rules yeah and rich was very much the same you know because he knew that he knew that i was a concreter as a member of the canberra brewers and you know i remember sitting on his lounge much like this one and you know his house at the time i think was in o'connor at like 2 a.m after a canberra brewers meeting and he's throwing me this bag of weed and I'm going like, wow. And it wasn't, actually. It was Galaxy. Yeah. It was Galaxy Hops, you know. And I was like, hey, do I, am I going to need to edit that out? So that <laughs> no, no. It wasn't weed, everybody. It was Galaxy, um, the hop, and probably the you know some of the very earliest of that. That you know, Rich was playing mm. with that before anyone. He had a beer called Rumpole, so, um, which was really cool. But, yeah, he's, you know, those, those guys are definitely part of that, that sort of, the building blocks, you know, let alone Brad at Stone and Wood, and then all the guys he was inspired by, uh, inspired by, you know, um, before him. And it's um, a couple of things I want to circle back to there. One, we, we had Sean on recently, and just love chatting to Sean. Um, you know, just someone that loves beer. Another and failed muse. I wouldn't. <laughs> oh, actually, I shouldn't say that. And apologies, Sean. I know he's just building. A, he's doing extensions to his house, and apparently there's a drum room in it. Hey, okay. Hell yeah, that's, so. that's cool. Doesn't. Uh, Sam Callione from Dogfish Head and a few other brewers have a band. I've, like, uh, I've heard that. Yeah, I think Sam's a bit of a rapper, isn't he? I think. Oh God. Like okay. Let's move on hastily <laughs> from that before I. Um, but Triple Carmelite, Dave. What do you reckon, Andrew Johns? Are you, do you know you know Roll that well? Not really. Okay. No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Dave uh, was drinking Triple Carmelite on the show last week. Yes. Yeah. For the first time. How was it? Uh, it was very enjoyable. Tad sweet for me, but. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's legendary for a reason. Yeah, it's mm. good. Fresh example. Sorry? Was it a fresh example? I don't know, was um, it? I don't it's know. hard to say. Yeah, it's, it's, I couldn't say. It's pretty recent. It's like pretty fresh into Carwin, and I feel like they probably aren't 
mm. holding on to a bunch of stock like that too much. So mm. yeah, you wouldn't think. Yeah, if I saw one, I'd buy it just regardless. I think it's should, like it's, it's too sweet for me. It's mm. it's I, not like yeah, like I probably. I don't know though, because it's like it was like twenty two bucks for a seven fifty mil bottle. And I'm yeah. like, that's actually like outstanding value when you compare it to the other stuff in the yeah. same realm. Uh, and I, th- I think in a lot of ways you got to um, you also got to have that sense of perspective with a beer like that. Like it's gonna be sweet because the booze in it. Yeah, you know? yeah. And yeah. it's like, can you appreciate the complexity in that? in that alcohol character and the and the, the esters and the fusels that are involved in that making it, it be really sweet. But know, it's like also it's a, like one of those beers that we were talking about where like you can um, you can break it down and analyse it till the cows come home. Yeah. But during that interview, it was just like a refreshing beer that I was drinking. Yeah. Like, And I, I said this after we stopped recording, I, I admired every time, because we were doing it through Zoom yep. or Skype, and then every time Dave took a sip, I could see Just beautiful, beautiful yeah. head attention. <laughs> the beer looked yeah. so good. Yeah, it's very um, attractive. And like glass. every time I was like, God damn, that looks good. And, you know, it's been years. I think the last time I had it was in Belgium with like mussels and, and fries. And in that context, salty fries and mussels, yeah. And I think we said to the waiter, they, they normally cook their mussels in wine. And we said, can you do them with beer? And it's like... Of course we can do them with beer. Yeah, like, what, do you, what do you think yeah, you are, you idiot? Come on, yeah. like, you idiots. Like, <laughs> you're going to insult my cooking skills? Yeah, yeah. It's only beer. Of course you, like, I can do scoffed it. at us. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, yeah, they were cooked in triple carmelite as well. So here I am bad-mouthing, but I've certainly got a really good memory attached. So Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, one of the things you mentioned sort of online and people shit-canning beers, and it's something I, I love about Bolter releases and the you know you mentioned the small batch or the the seasonal releases yep and when they go out uh sterling hand writes a ton of notes to everyone which i just have so much respect for i like getting a little note from sterling in the mail saying you know how's the cat or i enjoyed that tweet um but then the result of that it generates a lot of you know talking online and it results in a lot of people shit canning the beer or how much of that do you read I know you're online sometimes. Um, not a lot. I'm sort of more looking for ale of a time. Um, <laughs> um, you know, like latest updates on your your last sourdough or that. You know, yeah, yeah. The, the, your cooking skills. I actually, I leave Stirls does that. You know, the the social sort of media thing, but also the online thing. Like I, I actually, I am a brewer. I make beer. Mm. I don't necessarily want to go on there and obsess with a bunch of theorists about how beer should be. And yeah. they, I know that, I know none of them have the experience or the chops that I have. So mm. I don't really give a fuck about what they say, really. <laughs> so I don't really waste my time reading it. The only time I would, and I've, like it's just one of those things these days, it's not like I can get on, online and say, you're a fucking moron. Like you have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. But, because that's not kosher, you know. You just don't. So I just, so I just don't, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. What do you do? Um, I'm making beer that I want to drink. I'm making beer that we want to drink. I'm making beer that um, I think if I've if I've got anything as a brewer and a beer judge, and a, you know, my role in this industry is that I've been born with a set of genes that allows me to identify uh, characteristics in beer, right? And it seems to be, 
it seems to be that if genetically if i like a beer and i think it's it's up there then for some reason whether i'm aligned with a lot of people that a lot of people are going to agree with me and that's obviously helps bolter a lot because if i was a brewer and i i you know i threw up the beers and exalted the beers that 99 percent of the population absolutely hate we weren't going to go very well Mm. you know sorry go very well or go very far um but i i've just i've just you know discovered this over the years of being a brewer and also as a beer judge because i know that generally if i'm at a table and i i you know i evaluate a beer and it's a gold medal beer it's a trophy winning beer usually everyone else at the table is going to agree with me Mm. you know and i've just i've got that that something that rings my bell will ring lots of people's bells you know and it's just i don't know i know that doesn't make me kylie minogue and i don't give a fuck if people think it does ultimately you know It's a, a random name to throw in. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I don't know. We're in Melbourne. I don't know. Um, Nickelback. That's probably yeah, way yeah, more insulting. Yeah. Um, um, for a metal guy like me, it is. Yeah. But anyway. Just as we're wrapping up, Dave, do you want anything to add? Uh, no, I don't believe so. Like, There's so many little threads that I want to pull on, but I reckon we can come back at another time, maybe in a year's time for your sixth birthday and sure. pull on them further. Uh, thank you so much for... For joining us anything you want to add before we we finish up uh i wasn't trying to insult kylie minogue um, i didn't yeah. sound like an insult yeah good um <laughs> no, not really listen. i just want to um i guess thank everybody out there who does give a shit about what we do we give a shit immensely about what we do um we really believe in like good beer being for everyone and um we were able to do a um we had a beer dinner uh beer lunch and couple of days ago and we raised a bunch of money for the starlight foundation and i find this hilarious no one else probably will but the brewery tour with me raised several thousand dollars more than mick fanning's surfboard or a surfing lesson with joel park and so oh, yeah i was almost like at mic drop uh. situation i was like that's it <laughs> that's something to put in your pocket that's and it. just bring that's it bring my, up my work every, is done yeah sort of okay i have a final question how much do you see those guys and how, how old do you know them? Can you stuff it in their faces? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right, that's yeah, good. They're awesome. They're like, um, um, you know, they're, they're great friends and I love them all, you know. We really are a family. They were um, instrumental, obviously, in getting Bolter started and they, they just let me have a playground, basically, in a lot of ways. And it wasn't like we, and for everybody out there, we didn't have millions of dollars. Those guys had enough money to put together to, to lease the building and we had to go from there. You know, my wife and I put money in, Ant and his wife put money in, Stirls and his wife, we all we all did. And then we had to rely on a myriad of other investors, usually after we'd ordered the equipment. Mm. I'd, I'd get the steam boiler ordered and we'd scrape up enough for the deposit and then we knew we had 16 weeks to find like, Fifty or sixty thousand dollars, which we didn't have, so mm. that was our whole build all the way through. And a lot of people might just think, "Oh, you probably just Mick rocked up and plonked a million on the table." He, he doesn't have the money to do that, despite what people might have thought, you know. And for us, that would have been a very precarious way to start a start a brewery, you know. So I just, you know, it's five years on now, and it's just great that people have believed in us, you know. And you get, I'm not worried about the other 
aspects of it out there. If you're annoying enough people, it's proof that you are, you're doing the right thing, I think. so. I think the fact that, you know, it's talking to that and, and the beer has to be good and, and XPA has become, you know, the number one beer in Australia, depending on which year it is mm-hmm. um, and who's voting. But, you know, that's to even have it in the mix is... Yeah. is always going to be testament to the product. You don't get to that status with shit beer. Mm. No, that's right. And not not when you grow from nothing like we did into the volumes we're doing now, and it's all mostly driven still by XBA, and we've got, you know, Captain and Hazy and all the other beers, but the people drink XBA day after day after day after day. That's why we have to make so much of it. And for us, we've never tried to push our beer through the market it's always been pulled through the market and i learned that from um ross and jamie at stone and wood like that's way easier than foisting something on Mm. on on your punters and you know go here you guys will love this it's the other way around they Mm. go this is fucking awesome make more of it and that's how it should be Mm. you know we do serve the people who are drinking our beers so that's that's you know we got to make sure that's always in the right order. We can throw up stuff like Cryomofo and all the beers I make all the time, and it's you know like here's some fun shit we did. This is this is where I think beers headed in different ways and and at different times. And I know that you know I know that at least some of the time I'm getting that right um, for sure. Um, just final comment on the beer. That last one we had, the Garage Project one, was gorgeous. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm uh, not a hazy fan at all, but that didn't annoy me the way most hazy beers do. Yeah. yeah. So like low annoyance. Yeah. yeah. That's so that's success. How widely is that available? Because, you know, I want people to go out and try that. Is um that- yeah, well we've got um I think we ended up with about thirty odd kegs of that or something. So it's gonna get around. Like it'll get what around. Is- and we're actually um, I'm sending a couple down to um, to Adam at Garage Project here. So oh. a couple of the um, GP places um, or accounts in Melbourne will have it as well. What's that one called and, and what's the beer itself? Bubble Trouble. A hazy pale ale. So oh. this is part of our, just quickly, this is part of our um, Zoom meeting. Got on the Zoom. There's Joss and Pete and Ian. Pete goes, so Scotty, great to see you, mate. How you going? Yeah, good. And carried on for half an hour. He goes, so um, what beer do you want to make? And I said, oh, well, I was actually thinking of a hazy pale ale. And, and Pete did the thing on the screen where you shoot yourself in the head. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, okay, yeah, right. you're going to love this. He goes, no, it's going to be the best beer ever. And I went, yeah, it will, with your input. So, like the week after we had that conversation, they released a hazy pale ale with Trillium anyway. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah. come on, it's come in. <laughs> you guys are really good at it. And the one thing I'd say about all five of those beers for anyone who's going to hear this early enough to try them would be that um, for me the idea was the connections had to be real. These are all friends of mine and all good friends of mine, people I have like real connections to. Quickly run through the other breweries. You've got Mountain Culture, Garage yep. Project. Uh, Mountain Culture, Garage Project, Stone Brewing, Firestone Walker and Bale Breaker. Great. Yeah, and, um, and part B of that was the other thing that I wanted to make sure was these would be beers that I would drink with those people. We'd make them, and then at some point, these are the sort of beers that I would drink with these people. Yeah, ridiculous. Awesome. So it was about, you know, it wasn't just a list of, oh, they're cool, we're a bit cool, this will all be excellent, and we'll just exploit that or flog that. Like, that's just dumb. They, they are actually, like, 
really good friends of mine. That's the most gratifying thing for me is they all said, yeah, fuck yeah, this is awesome. Let's do it. Even it has to be over Zoom and mm. we mm. won't really get to taste it. <laughs> <laughs> but I do. <laughs> uh, Scott, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. That was a ripper. Um, yeah. Really looking forward to I Actually, through this chat, I realised I don't remember the last time I had the XBA, so I'm probably going to... Yeah, I had the exact same thought. Yeah. At some point soon. Yeah. And, sure. Uh, but yeah, You've got to drink the others, though. Well, you're here, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Thanks, right. mate. See you, fellas. <laughs>